uh, motivation, honestly, like I think that there's a lot of people that could do a lot more in the world if they just had consistent motivation by certain people. Um, if you don't have that, you, you, you lose, you get one twentieth of somebody. We're leveraging our kind of like Trojan horse to get into people's offices through the front desk and through the visitor sign-in um, to the rest of the office. So just recently we launched a product for deliveries. So this is to handle the problem that all these Amazon boxes are showing up unannounced in people's offices and you want people to pick them up. So we built a service where it like reminds them and keeps on picking them until they pick it up. Uh, makes it way easier to scan them and know when they're coming, that kind of stuff. I'm Stephen Cummins and this is the middle episode of a three-episode interview with Larry Gadia, CEO and co-founder of Envoy. Larry reveals why his Trojan horse strategy has turned his initially simple startup idea into a platform for upgrading the office experience. He also discusses the power of motivation and the evolution of offices. Co-working spaces have similar challenges to co-located spaces and Envoy has a strong footprint in both. He has a personal preference for co-located over remote, but given that Envoy's mission is to upgrade the office, that's hardly surprising. However, unlike some people in the tech world, he's not binary or religious on co-located offices versus remote or vice versa, which is pretty refreshing. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. You're in your sixth year. Um, you didn't take a huge amount of cash on until nine months ago. Uh, you've raised 60 million. You took 43 million on nine months ago. Yeah. Um, so that you know, when you when you take in that sort of cash, it changes things. Uh, you know, you would have been building up to that with plans to to kind of land and expand in places. So. Have you expanded geographically or in terms of uh, employee numbers a lot in the last yeah, months? Yeah, it's all about employee numbers. Like it's, okay. it's, and we were based in San Francisco, um, Silicon Valley, most expensive place to hire people in the world, especially engineers. Um, and, and really good engineers, really good designers, really good product people, um, they are expensive and you have to pay for them because you want the best quality. You have to have the best quality. The reason people choose Envoy is because it is really high quality and it just works. Um, you can get a fly-by-night thing for like $5 a month that's just like a clone of our thing, but it's like you know that they're not investing in security, they're not investing in compliances, they're not investing in, in usability studies and in, in very meticulous design like they're, they, because they just don't have money for it. So especially with SaaS where it's such a big deal that, um, that you have the security, you're holding other people's data, you're holding their, their visitor information, you're holding their employee directories, um, this kind of stuff isn't cheap. So one key thing that we're using it for is, is building out our current product. But another big area is what we've discovered is that the office is just full of, of experiences that are very like not really thought about. And, and really what we want to do is what we're doing is we're, we're leveraging our kind of like Trojan horse to get into people's offices through the front desk and through the visitor sign-in um, to the rest of the office. So just recently we launched a product for deliveries. So this is to handle the problem that all these Amazon boxes are showing up unannounced in people's offices and you want people to pick them up. So we built a service where it like reminds them and keeps on picking them until they pick it up. Uh, makes it way easier to scan them and know when they're coming, that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then now we're, we have a beta of a, of a product around meeting rooms. Uh, we want to make uh, meeting rooms much more manageable, and especially once you're inside. So it's like, hey, um, we're at a whiteboard markers, or uh, start the Zoom meeting, or um, hey, bring up the window blinds, or bring them down, or uh, this chair is broken. Like, there's a lot of different problems that can happen in a meeting room that people aren't really thinking about, and we feel like there's a lot of opportunity there to really innovate uh, in yet another area of the office that people don't really think about, but but it is our, our mission objective to really take these kind of boring-esque problems and make them interesting and exciting uh, because there's a lot of opportunity there. It's interesting. So you're really expanding across the whole workplace experience and the whole facilities management experience. Um, it's so super neglected. Like nobody is really looking really? into that at yeah, scale. Yeah, it's yeah. it's totally like think of it this way before like back in the day, you used to have like this little thermostat that's like, it, it, you bought it white, it turned yellow and beige after a while, and it's like no one really cared about it, they didn't really think about it. Um, then along came Nest, and Nest yes. like completely redid it. It's like beautiful, it, 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 like, it, it measures everything, it knows when you're home, it knows when you're coming home, um, it, it saves you money, it like gives you all this analytics. And, and no one was asking for that back then, but now it just only makes sense. So we're doing exactly that kind of movement to the uh, to the office. Um, there's a ton of stuff that's just completely not thought about or neglected, um, and a lot of it is because of antiquated B2B buying cycles as well. So we feel that a focus on experience and in the boringest of areas in the office is really a great place for us to really change things. It's interesting. I, I used to build custom objects for customers when I worked in Salesforce uh, for uh, you know really basic facilities uh, management type stuff, you know, so they could message people when something was missing, whatever. Yes. Uh, but it's true, the reason I was doing that was there was nothing, there was nothing at the time that yeah. I could, like you've got there, that I could, uh, there was no Envoy or whatever, that I could just kind of did it holistically and yep. properly. You and, know? and the thing you did probably was very functional and yeah. it did work and it kept track of assets or whatever, but, um, but it's like when you want to do more powerful things, when you want it to integrate with a ton of different products, um, when you exactly. want it to be part of an ecosystem, that's when things start breaking down. Yeah. So really what we're doing for our company is, is a lot of companies kind of built their own little solutions. The ones like Google, Facebook, Apple, they actually had their own sign-in system um, that they built themselves. And what we did is we're like, hey, this looks like something others could really use too. So that was one of the big impetuses for us starting uh, to build this. Okay. And yeah, we can imagine all sorts of other products and stuff coming uh, soon, um, all integrated with each other. Fantastic, it sounds very exciting. You, you um, it strikes me also uh, that you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you built the team and you're expanding it in San Francisco. Um, do you have uh, remote employees or do you, do you have a plan to focus on um, building distributed teams in the future given the expense and given the fact that you can find great people all over the world, suddenly the world becomes your oyster in terms of hiring? Right, we do have distributed uh, engineers. Um, uh, we, do, uh, we are focusing on hiring more kind of locally in San Francisco, um, though we definitely do have some people that are distributed. It, it works, I mean, if they, can, if they can write great code and they understand the problems and they, they feel the pain, uh, then it's absolutely important uh, that we get access to them. And they're actually a lot easier to access as well, just given that um, they don't show up in random bars and then five recruiters uh, go on them and, and recruit them to another company. Um, as is the story in San Francisco. <laughs> you, I, I was thinking that you, you, you could actually have uh, 
I can imagine some, because there's some, now there's some big fully distributed teams uh, out there, they're, they're, they're starting to grow uh, hmm. with automatic and there's loads of them. It's not easy. It's not easy. You, it's need tough to have to work a, you need to have a very solid kind of culture and, and how you do your things. Um, you can't just expect that, hey, you got a bunch of engineers, they'll just figure it out. You do have to, um, you have to be deliberate about how you deploy code, what kind of code is acceptable, what's not, what's your processes, do you do code reviews? Um, and, and it's like, if you have uh, downtime right now and your whole service is offline, um, is a code review required for the fix that will fix that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And those kinds of things people can be very opinionated on. Some people are like, oh, the website's down, of course you don't need a code review, just get it back online. Um, versus uh, some people which are like, no, the point of a code review is so you don't make things even worse. Um, so those kinds of discussions don't really happen when when a lot of people are just remote and, and don't have easy access to each other. Absolutely. So I think there's something about creating really good internal culture first in like a local physical area where these spontaneous conversations can happen uh, and then you scale out through, uh, through remote. Yeah, yeah. It, ironically, I can think of applications for Envoy for for remote teams. I mean, depending on how they, some of them actually send out a complete set of furniture. They they like to you know have a standardized uh, set of furniture that people use when they work. But yeah. but obviously there's equipment connectivity access, whatever, there's, I can think of, uh, you know, different times when people can sign in, sign up. I, mean, I can actually, I can actually see a, a perhaps a, a, an application of Envoy for a distributed team. Absolutely. I, I think that it is, like, I, I don't think that the office is going anywhere anytime soon. No. Like, it's it's like, even when you look at the stats, it's like two or three percent of, of workers in the U.S. are, are full remote, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, full time. So it's like, it's not going anywhere. And, and yes, it is growing quickly, but this is not going to change anytime soon. Absolutely. Um, um, but but there are some interesting applications like it'd be really there's a lot of cool tech now especially when it comes to like uh, AR um, people you can have these glasses on that that let's say you're looking at a whiteboard in your room yep. and then the person in the office is looking at a whiteboard in in uh, a meeting room um, the two of you are looking at a blank whiteboard but now if one of you draws you see it on the other one through the through the the goggles and then uh, inverse for the other person. So it's basically like you're working with each other, except uh, you could be remote anywhere. Absolutely, um, and that technology yeah. is coming. It's a bit it is. amazing. It's super close. Like the yeah. the 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 bandwidth is there. Um, the 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 creativity is certainly there. The 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 AR stuff is also like there's multiple competing AR things, and it looks like AR is also going more in an enterprise direction because it's so expensive, uh, and it looks kind of kooky. Uh, so because of that, I think I think the enterprise applications for it will be huge, and, and you can be sure we're going to be on top of that. Oh, fantastic! Um, I'm actually fascinated by the evolution of buildings. People often they, they talk a lot about remote versus uh, co-located a lot, but I think it's the the, the thing that's actually going to change. I think is is uh, the usage of buildings. I agree, the buildings are not going anywhere, and, and maybe you disagree with this. I think what will happen is it'll slowly uh, evolve from mostly co-located to a mix of smaller co-located teams and uh, co-working. Mm -hmm. um, do you think, do you, what do you think over the next 20, 25 years would you see it? Uh, yeah, way? I definitely think that we'll have smaller teams uh, that can be not centralized, um, but it's it, like you definitely see this already that co-working is definitely picking up. It's great for new companies and it's great for remote satellite offices. Um, Ideally, if there, if you have a satellite office, the people in that office are working on one project that they're not cut up uh, between a bunch of different projects with HQ. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, 
yeah, I, I do see that becoming a thing more and more. I think there's going to be more and more co-working spaces that just become available. And I think all these co-working spaces are going to need all the same technology. They need to keep track of people coming in and out. They need to keep track of the meeting rooms. They need to keep track of the packages coming in. And the, you can buy the food off the shelf. Even or, more so. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of, like, you won't even know everybody there, too. It's got to be more... If they want to personalize it, it's a bigger, bigger challenge. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and Envoy is used a lot in co-working spaces today as well. That's a very big use case of ours because people need to keep track of who's coming in and out and are they signing uh, some sort of agreement that says, hey, I'm not going to steal all the info I get from, from all these different companies I may oversee. Fascinating. Um, Larry, back to you. Um, <laughs> if you were to name one person that's had the biggest influence in your life, it could be anybody from history, uh, tech, family, whatever, who, who would you name? Oh, geez. Um, these are always, oh man, if you put family in there, that's really tough. <laughs> That's unfair. Um, okay, one from your family and one outside your family. Okay, okay. I'm going to say, okay, so for my family, I'd definitely say my brother. Um, though, um, he's, it was really good. Like, when, when, when I used to live with my brother, um, it's, he'd be super encouraging all the time. Like, it's, it's, I'd do this thing, and then he'd always be like, okay, that's good, but it should also do this other thing. Um, so you'd have this way of kind of like pushing me to like do something wackier. Um, so seeking his approval was always kind of fun. Older brother. Um, older brother, yep. Um, yeah, so, so definitely he, I, I owe a lot to him for just keeping me motivated. And, and honestly, that's one of the hardest things name? for people. Chris. Chris. Yeah. Um, so he, he definitely was helpful there. Um, and uh, motivation, honestly, like I think that there's a lot of people that could do a lot more in the world if they just had consistent motivation by certain people. Um, if you don't have that, you uh, you you lose, you get one twentieth of somebody. Um, just get them the right motivation, and they'll they'll definitely achieve much more. Um, and then and then speaking of that, so in so outside of family. Um, I, I have to say it, and like a lot of people, especially from Silicon Valley, I'll look up the same person, but Elon Musk is definitely a fan of mine. Um, and simply because uh, the guy just cares about changing things and creating new things. And yes, he's a little wild, and like I, I wouldn't want to replicate everything, but if there's something that he does uh, really, really well, it's like have an ambition that's much more, much more sophisticated than um, uh, a personal career or making money. Okay. Um, it's about really making an impact on the world, and and that's the main goal. And um, yeah, maybe the tactics are a little wacky, but um, it's he's doing it. In the next and final episode of a three-part interview with Larry Gadia, we find out why it's great to look for the most boring problems imaginable and then set about making the problem sexy in order to attract the most talented people out there to your company. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoy the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network subscribe to the series and give the show a rating. This podcast is a labor of love and I travel all over the world to interview the founders of amazing SaaS startups. I ask for nothing in return from them other than their valuable time. And I never play dirty tricks such as if you get five of your employees to rate the podcast with five stars and send me screenshots, we'll publish a month earlier. 
These episodes are so much work to produce and very expensive without the backing of a big tech company. Do your good deed for today by taking a minute now to review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of the major podcast platforms, wherever you're listening to us. Thank you.